Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Guilty Feminist. Tonight, Monday, the 25th of October, we have a show at King's Place. It's a doubleheader. The first episode is an emergency special for the NHS including Francesca Martinez making her debut on The Guilty Feminist, Jen Brister, and some incredible advocates and doctors from the NHS itself telling us how it is being sold off. The second half is a Guilty Feminist comedy classic where we are revisiting some of the topics we did in the first year, which is based on a suggestion by one of you, the listeners. It will be with Jen Brister and the fabulous Katie Wicks. Come along to that. There are still a few tickets left. If you can't be there in person, you can buy a live stream ticket, which you can watch for 48 hours. On Thursday, the 4th of November, we're doing a special Guilty Feminist with Grace Petrie. It's going to be like later with Jules Holland, except it's going to be later with Grace and me, where I'll be asking her what inspired her to write the songs on her latest album. And in between, she's going to play them for us. Do not miss that. It's going to be a really wonderful night. You can get tickets for both from kingsplace.co.uk. On the Tuesday, the 9th of November, there will be a Guilty Feminist at Soho Theatre. Keep an eye out for the lineup. And I'm doing a stand up comedy show called The Guilty Feminist Stands Up, which will have some of the classic material, but mostly be brand new and stuff that I don't really want to put on the podcast because I don't want it to be on the internet. So come along. The themes are coming out and going in. It will be from the 30th of November to the 4th of December, live every night at Soho Theatre in London. 
I hope to be touring it elsewhere, but so far we only have London dates. But the Australia and New Zealand Guilty Feminist Tour is back on. I will be there from the 13th to the 27th of July with a range of exciting co-hosts and guests. Please check the website to see when we are coming to you. In Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, Brisbane, Adelaide, Wellington, Auckland and Christchurch. I hope I haven't left anyone off there. Also, you can join our Patreon if you would like ad-free episodes and also other special content. All these links are in the show notes or go to guiltyfeminist.com. And now on with the show. I'm a feminist, but when I first got excited to do this episode on the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp, I thought to myself, I'd have been there. Yeah, I'd have been there. I'd have been one of them. And then I read about it and realised the camp was active for 19 years. <laughs> and I thought, what was I doing in 2002? And I realised, that was 19 years ago, I realised I was watching Ally McBeal and Facebook hadn't been invented. So I don't really honestly remember what I was doing. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, these women are better than me and always will be. Uh, I'm a feminist, but recently I crashed my car. And the first thing I did was ring my dad and say, I'm a small girl, fix this. <laughs> did you use those exact words? No, but I did sort of go, can you do something to make this not happen? Did he? Um, no, I went, babe, there's nothing I can do, you're in Bristol. Uh, which was true, which was true. Did you, you rise to the occasion in a feminist fashion? Uh, yeah. Did you, did you call do? your wife? No, she couldn't help me in that scenario. Uh, what, what I, what this I, is where you need a husband. This is when you need a husband. Yeah. Can I'm I borrow Tom bar. occasionally? I, listen, you can absolutely borrow Tom. I don't know how useful he is in car situations, I'll be honest with you. I could also use a husband, in addition to Tom, an excellent husband, don't get me wrong, but a car husband slash a DIY husband. Oh, my dad's like a bloke like that but he's just like babe you're in Bristol there's nothing I can do oh, I'm in Portsmouth you're in Bristol you're going to have to ring someone there yeah that no, was I his response which he, I thought could see where he was coming from okay <laughs> listeners listeners male listeners around the country slash women who are good with cars and, and things like this DIY if you are willing to be a local husband for any of our tours <laughs> where we can just oh, plug in great yeah like a comedy husband a comedy feminist husband yes so if you're in Bristol this is the number that you text and yes. say Barry you're my Bristol husband yes this is an example I've I'm, smashed up the car exactly a Manchester husband all the shelves have fallen out of the tour van I don't know These well, what are... do you think my tour is like <laughs> the shelves have fallen out of the tour van <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why your tour van has shelves, but I'm I didn't thinking, know that I had a tour van. I'm uh, fucking over the moon. My career's going better than I thought. <laughs> the train's broken down. Can Fine. you come and pick me up and run me to here, or yeah. or drive the train, fix the train? I mean, this would all be very useful. Okay, so the tour... there's no sex though. That has to be very clear. Oh no, I don't think that was on the table. For well, no, I didn't think it was. But just, no. to, I'm just we were just throwing the okay, word husband Barry, around. Barry and Bristol, if you're listening, um, Dave and Dorset, if you are listening, there is no sex on the table. Yep. Or, or the chair, or the bed, <laughs> or, or the tour van, or the tour van, train not got yet. So that's or good. Or the train. No, none of the locations have sex in them. But if you could occasionally come and help me, just be a husband. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, I think when he heard husband, he knew he wasn't getting much sex. Maybe. I've never had one. I'm not saying marriage always kills sex, but I'm saying it doesn't help. No, no. It's not the biggest helper in the... No, no, it's no, it certainly puts on life support and then occasionally you yeah, get... It's, it's not the an Aphrodisiac. It's not out. an Aphrodisiac. The word husband or wife is not an Aphrodisiac. No. I'm a feminist, but having thought, oh, I couldn't possibly have been a Greenham common woman, 
Uh, I read further, and it said that sometimes they dressed up as witches, mm. were known for dressing up as witches, yes, please. and sometimes teddy bears. And I thought, I'm back in. I'd have fit right in. <laughs> the full cobra, I would definitely have got, I would have had a really elegant witch costume. And occasionally, like a like a, some days, a cutesy teddy bear situation. I thought, right, I'm back in. All over Instagram on that. Um, but then I read further and it said people used to come and physically attack them, which is like trolling before Twitter was invented, but in person. That's a 3D troll situation where people used to come and literally attack them. And then, worse, local pubs wouldn't serve green and common women. So you'd have long days protesting and then you've got to camp overnight. So you, what you obviously need a, a little, you know, white wine spritzer, don't you, with that situation. You pop down to the local pub I mean, I don't know how they knew who they were. Probably they're just as witches and teddies. Yeah. Um, probably gave them away. Um, but then I was like, oh, hell. When I read more about it, um, I was like, oh, shit. No, no, no. Absolutely. I was right back to green and common women are better than us and always will be. I'm a feminist, but my wife looks after all of my finances because I literally can't be trusted with my own money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not great. Um, no, but I am giving but, money to a woman. So that's quite feminist, isn't it? Is it? It's quite punk. I mean, yes. Yes. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no better. In fact, I'm worse because sure. I'm in a similar situation, but the holder of the keys of the kingdom is a man. Ooh. Again, yeah, I know. Again, Tom Slinsky. <laughs> but I just don't care enough. I'm just like, oh, so many. Oh, this account, and you have to put it Oh, it. I, I'm so... so bad at all that stuff. Well, when, we, when Alice, my partner, and I first met, I had so many credit cards, but all of them had like 400 quid on it. It wasn't like I'd racked up loads of money. It was just someone had been like, would you like a credit card? And I'd been like, all right. And then she had to be like, this is a terrible idea. What are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I'm 31. I really should have this shit handled. But I didn't. Well, it's good that you met her. Thank fuck. (laughs) In so many ways. Yeah, no, I think it's good. But one of the things about marriage is... I think it exacerbates your best and worst qualities mm. because the one that's good with money just goes, let me do it. And mm-hmm. then the one that's not good with money goes, oh, I never have to do this again. So just give us a cheer if you're married. <laughs> just the three of us. Oh, only one person's happy enough about it to cheer. Just give us a groan if you're married. Okay, <laughs> people were happier to do that. Give us a sort of gentle yay if you're married. Just a yay, yeah, I am. I won't comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> They're wow. not enthusiastic, are they? No. Give us a cheer if you're not married. They're much happier. Someone is literally like fist punching the air. Yeah. Like that is just for the listener at home. Okay, so if you're not married, or, I'm going to say further if you're not in a long term relationship, um, I'll tell you what happens is that you just relinquish responsibility for things you don't like because why would you bother when they're there, yes. right? Now, what happens is, 10 years in, you now are physically incapable of doing those things. You don't know, the world has moved on, you checkbooks don't exist anymore, and you, you've got no idea how they work. How, how does anything work anymore? It's all on the phones. It's all on the phones now. I'm not interested in that. But there are things that I'm good at that Tom isn't, that he hasn't done for 10 like, years either. Like, I don't know. The feminist. <laughs> so, just, so I'm much better socially. I, he, has, he mostly has a social life because of me. So things like that. So he thinks, why would I bother? Why would I bother? Because you're going to make it happen for me. And so you become codependent because you realise after a while you are half a person. You are an excellent half. You are a really excellent half. Of, I, this is not a good advertisement for marriage or feminism. I, no, 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 I'd say I'm no. I'm not saying I'm half a person. I'm a whole person 
with some very excellently sharpened skills and some absolutely appalling skills. That's, you know, that's all I'm saying. I'm a feminist, but I also read today on the Greenham Common Front that between 1989 and 1991, all the missiles, um, and in case anyone's going, what is Greenham Common? You've not really explained it. It was a military base. Women surrounded the military base and in tens of thousands at times to protest because they did not want nuclear weapons there, quite understandably. They got rid of those nuclear weapons between 1989 and 1991. So this protest worked. The peace camp remained as a continuing protest against the concept of nuclear weapons for another nine years. They won and they stayed there for another nine years just protesting against the concept of nuclear weapons. And that's when I thought, oh, they really are better than me because I would have had a very long lunch. I would just be like, look, we won, guys, we won. We won. But then today I met Rebecca Johnson, this incredible woman who is going to be our guest. I said this to her and I went, that's amazing that you stayed there for nine years after you'd won. And she went, mm, some people didn't know when to go. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm back in the game. I'm back in the game. You know what? It's never different. You always think people of the past were so much... Was so, you know there was just everything was wonderful and it was just shoulder to shoulder arm to arm. Of course there was contentions, there was jealousies, there was succession like rivalries. I can't wait to hear about it because human beings are human beings. I'm so excited. Oh, me too. I think it's because people aren't. Some people aren't sure of when to leave the party. That is, and correct. I am that person. Are you? Well, would you have been well, around nine I, years after? Well, just in case something happened. Imagine if something massive... The, fear, the reason that I'm worried about leaving parties... I remember staying very late to a party at your house once because I thought, well, something might happen. She's friends with Emma Thompson. I don't want her to rock up and me to have missed that. So, oh, I see. Just in so, case so, so, something so happens. What about if I left and then 10 minutes later they were like, oh, yeah, everyone turned up and you just missed it. Oh, I see. And that's why you were there at 4am and I was going, oh... Please leave. I was going, oh, shall I pop the kettle on? <laughs> start, making the, start making breakfast sandwiches? <laughs> um, I wasn't there that late. But no, I was there no, quite no, late. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I love that. I, I love people who don't leave the party. If people... If my party goes on really late, I think it's a real success. If people won't go... Sometimes I've had like a lunchtime barbecue and people have been there at two in the morning and I've been like, yes, I am amazing at parties. <laughs> so I need people who fear leaving in case something good happens very much to, so I feel like it was a good party. So We're going to be out really late tonight, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Live from the Courthouse Hotel, Shoreditch, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me and everyone subscribe. Guest co-host Susie Ruffles and our very special guest Rebecca Johnson talking about Mothers of the Revolution! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Susie Ruffle, and we are talking about the Greenham Common Women and the new documentary everyone must see, Mothers of the Revolution! <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you so much for coming to the show. And thank you, Susie, for being here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks it's, for having uh, me. It's an absolute delight. So thank you so much for coming out. Just give us a cheer if you know anything about Greenham Common. Just give us a cheer if this is all new to you. Great. Okay, so this is great for the people who've made the documentary because they're not just preaching to the choir. 
they're making their choir bigger. Uh, when you leave here, if you've enjoyed the documentary, go on socials and tell people and tell real people with your actual face as well. That's always good. Uh, it doesn't always have to be online. I am expecting, I don't know if this is, should I be expecting to need a hanky? I feel it might be tissue worthy. Do yes. you know much about Green and Common, Susie? Bits and bobs. Most of which, when you said to me, do you want to do the thing about Green and Common? And I thought I better fucking learn something. Um, <laughs> and so I, I don't know if you've heard of Wikipedia. I had a quick look at that. Um, I had was, heard... Did you go to the University of Wikipedia? I did, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, <laughs> Mom and Dad are very proud. And, um, but I knew a little bit, but, but I'm really excited to learn more and to chat to Rebecca afterwards. Yes, me too. All right. Are we ready for some stand-up comedy? Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage the incredible Susie Ruffle. And then can I just... I'm literally just standing, so I, I'll just do that. I'm going to tell you a very quick story. Deb's asked if I had anything that was uh, sort of about me standing up for myself, which I do a little bit. So just uh, I'll just try and make you laugh briefly in this slightly weird scenario where we're all in a cinema and you're thinking, it, it, is she allowed to do this? Uh, and we're not sure if I am, but let's just crack on. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to talk to you about school. I had a terrible time at school. I really hated school. Um, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not very academic at all. And none of the teachers liked me. I distinctly remember one teacher saying to me, ah, oh, Miss Ruffle, I don't think you'll have a career out of just chatting. <laughs> well, I think you'll find I have. But, <laughs> but he was horrible, right? He was really, really horrible. And um, I'm severely dyslexic. And, uh, and, and I just, I just had a terrible, terrible time. Like I tell you how dyslexic I am. When I drive into Wales, their signs make more sense to me. That is the level of dyslexia I have. Just like, ah, oh, that's I'll get some petrol. Lovely. So, it's got weird. Uh, so, um, uh, so, so, there was a teacher at school and he was horrible to me and he would always make me read aloud from the textbook because I was dyslexic. I'd make a mistake, I'd feel very silly, he'd get to feel very, very clever. And so on one occasion I'm reading aloud from this textbook and I misread a word, right? I misread the word organism. Okay? You're a clever bunch. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you have got it. A couple of dyslexics, not a clue. I said orgasm in front of 33 15-year-olds. You can imagine what happens there. It's the class go wild, people are laughing, people are clapping. A boy at the back was slapping his thigh like he was in panto. I was thinking, bloody hell, this feels good. Is this a job? Now, Mr. Crossan didn't like me getting a big laugh. And looking back, I find this very shocking. I was a very dyslexic child from a very working-class background. He dragged me out in front of the whole of the class. And he said to me, Susie Ruffle, you mark my words. You will never amount to anything. Okay, first heckle. How on a deal with it? Think on your feet, Ruffle. Think on your feet. Quick as a flash. I said, I'll amount to more than you, wanker. Huge laugh, okay? People can't believe it's happening. I'm high-fiving my way out of the classroom, right? <laughs> The headmistress comes to get me. She takes me to, uh, to her office and then, then she rings home. She says, one of your parents is going to have to come up to get you. And I think, please, can mum answer the phone? She can see no wrong in me. That's how this has happened. But uh, dad, I'm like my dad. Dad can see all the wrong in me. I've got like a real geezer dad. I've got a proper geezer dad. I've got, my dad's the kind of bloke that can only write in capital letters. He's one of those. It means no matter what he writes, it looks aggressive. You know, it's like, happy birthday, love dad! You know, in crayon. That's who dad is, right? <laughs> And he came up the school driving a pickup truck, wearing a sheepskin. It was mid-July, but he'd found his look. And <laughs> in he goes into the teacher's office and she tells him the story. And my dad goes mad. Sue, you spang out of order. You can't be swearing at your teachers. I said, Dad, please let me explain. He said, no, Sue, I don't care what the explanation is. You've embarrassed yourself today. And do you know what? You've embarrassed me. I said, Dad, come on, let me explain. He said, go on, then try and get yourself out of this. I said, well, Mr. Crossan doesn't like me. He makes really loud for the textbook to make a fool of me. And I misread a word. That's all I misread one word. And everybody laughed. And then he dragged me out in front of the whole of the class and he told me I would never amount to anything. So I called him a wanker. And Dad took this in and then looked at the headmistress and went, that does sound like the type of thing a wanker would do. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Susie 
Well, Susie, uh, that story to me says right from childhood, we know that we can stand up to power if we see that power is being unfair and unjust. And uh, so there is a little mother of the revolution in you right there um, in the classroom. I am now very excited to introduce this documentary. Mothers of the Revolution is a new documentary which tells the story of the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp. It was directed by Brian March and features interviews with key participants, including Julie Christie and Rebecca Johnson, alongside archive footage. It's available for download now. Enjoy. Uh, our guest today lived at the Green and Common Peace Camp for five years. She is the director and founder of the Acronym Institute for Disarmament Diplomacy, as well as a co-founding strategist and organiser of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, and part of this movement that won a Nobel Peace Prize. Please welcome Rebecca Johnson. <laughs> Rebecca, you've got a standing ovation there by a lot of people who are grateful not to have died in a nuclear holocaust. Um, I mean, the people at home haven't listened, so I'm trying not trying to do it in a way that doesn't give spoilers. But it's a documentary, so I think it's probably all right to say uh, there was no nuclear war. That's yeah. probably yeah. probably all right. Um, so if you're listening at home, we've just seen this absolutely remarkable documentary uh, about a movement that started at a kitchen table in Wales, gathered momentum, uh, lots and lots of women who walked to Greenham, then uh, chained themselves in the 80s to rails, actually broke into this uh, camp where nuclear missiles were being held, making Britain a target. Uh, but also this movement of women grew and became an, a global movement of women saying, we don't want this for our future, we don't want things for our children, and then that grew into a movement of civilians, men too. And what was the most remarkable thing for me was Gorbachev saying, who, um, if, you, if you're very young and you don't know, Gorbachev and Reagan ended the Cold War, and when Gorbachev was asked, why did he trust Reagan, he said, I didn't. And he said, I trusted the green and common women to hold Reagan to account, and if I disarmed, not allow him... Uh, to arm, and that must have been that was so emotional to watch, but that must have been so emotional to hear. Yeah, it re- it really was, and and I actually want to say that what he said was, uh, and I only have it from the interpretation because Russian isn't one of my languages, but what he said was, he basically knew that we would not give up. We, the Green and Common Women, were not going to give up. At Greenham, I mean, that's how I I heard it, that we would not leave Greenham until the US Mm. missiles were going. So then it was possible to negotiate with Reagan. It's so interesting that the people have to hold their leaders to account. It really makes a difference. 
Because had that arms race continued and continued, continued, we could all not be here. We could have, you know, someone could have pressed the button. And so what you did when you went down and you probably thought, well, who are we to stand up to these people? And this might look a bit hopeless, but you gathered such momentum that you actually forced their hands. And that I find absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And women were, of course, doing this also in the US. I mean, our court case uh, in November of 1983, from that, quite a lot of, of women started to fan out across the US and make the connections. And remember, there was a peace movement. They, You saw uh, Seneca, mm. the, the base in upstate New York. A lot of Greenham women went to Seneca. And frankly, a lot of American women went to Greenham. And one of the women who uh, took part in the air traffic control uh, action that you saw kind of dramatized. Mm. <laughs> yes, there was a little bit. If you're listening at home, there's a little bit of dramatization in this. It's mostly documentary footage, interviews, real footage from the time, uh, but there is some dramatization. But I think it's very, very classily done, and it, it's it's very seamless. At first, I didn't realize it was dramatization, and then I thought, okay, this is a bit too good now that they had cameras in all of. Okay, all right. Because let's face I it, get it. I get it. I we, get it. We've all got old. <laughs> I mean, I think you, uh, honestly, I don't know if activism keeps you young, but I thought you all looked remarkably similar to how you looked uh, back in the day. I thought, I thought you were all, you were all doing very well. Um, Given you slept outside for 10 years, (laughs) quite honestly, in the elements, you face the elements. I think activism suits you. I slept outside for five of those years. Oh, well, what a slacker. Yeah. Gauge the weather as whether it was one hot water bottle weather or two hot water bottle weathers, you know, or actually quite nice. But that was only summer. And and funnily enough, quite a lot of women tended to come down for summer. Sure. It's like a really good camp for summer. Mm. Yeah, fair weather activists. I get it. <laughs> Listen, I think if, if I had camped there for one whole summer, I would be telling everyone and uh, I'd be dining out on that. Um, but you also did absolutely extraordinary things. You you went to the USSR, right? Yeah, I went in 85 um, on a bus that was entirely women. And it was grey green buses, if any of you remember anyway, that, uh, who, who had two women drivers. That, that And we had a couple of women who spoke Russian. And we also did that thing of camping at the on the steps of the block of flats that Olga lived in. And waiting out the KGB, I think we had four KGB and there were, or maybe we had three KGB and there were four of us, I think it was, and they weren't letting us up. And so we stayed and we chatted and we sang some songs and we chatted and we sang some songs and Olga knew we were there, but we couldn't go up until at least two of the KGB had to go to the loo and they, for some reason, decided they had to go together. And at that point... Excellent work. At that point, a couple of us slipped through the door and ran upstairs and met with Olga, had tea, had wonderful cakes that she'd made. And we met with the baby that she had, that she had (gasps) not aborted, the baby that they told her she should abort, that she wouldn't. And I met that amazing young woman, well, she's not even so young now, just uh, at the premiere of this, this film, during the London Film Festival, and it was just a, a very emotional moment. To, and to she's meet Olga again. I, you know, you I met, met her daughter at the and I at met the her daughter and her son. The little boy in that 
Uh, oh. We also met him. I mean, he was—he must have been nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. But also meeting the daughter that she had, dis- despite all this pressure on her from the Soviet authorities. To terminate the baby. The- Olga is uh, a woman who was, I would say, Rebecca's opposite number in Moscow because there were, of course... Um, as Sting pointed out, uh, I, I hope the Russians love their children too. There were certainly uh, lots of uh, Russian people who were wanting an end to this. And Olga was uh, a woman who worked with Greenham Common uh, women and herself uh, almost went to jail for three years and was advised by the government to terminate uh, her pregnancy at that time because otherwise she'd be separated from the baby. She didn't, and she was given a suspended sentence. Tom, can you just edit this in a little bit earlier? The first time Olga's mentioned, um, I'll, I'll just I'll just tap in. Um, so just can you just pop that in just for the people at home? Because I'm sorry, that's boring to you. You've just seen it. <laughs> um, we saw masses of police brutality in Britain, and this age is you know, has not gone away and is looking to escalate with this new policing bill, which is very, very frightening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we saw proper, proper police brutality and very scary things. But the KGB feels like another level to go and mess with. Were you very scared? Actually, by that time, 1985, no. Because we already knew that they were talking about us as Greenham heroines. And in fact, uh, I was shown uh, a poster that looked remarkably like it was one of these socialist realist posters, like all of this. But you knew it was me because it had my cape and, you know, my long hair and the suffragette ribbons, you know, and I still do the suffragette ribbon thing because we didn't think of ourselves at all as, as, as mothers of revolution and a lot of us, including me, you know, weren't mothers, although I can understand in that context because the other women whose narrative was used in this film... For them, being a mother was a very important part. But I was actually one of the dykes at Greenham, let's be honest. uh, Although I did occasionally... There was this American woman who who turned up and started being very disruptive. And, um, you know, we we really thought she was probably the CIA. And she was going, you don't look like a lesbian. (laughs) Wow. Well, But Chris, who featured heavily, was a lesbian, but only discovered she was a lesbian at When she went to Greenham. Yeah. Yeah. Greenham was a place that I think a lot of women discovered they were more lesbian than they'd previously thought. Yeah. Um, And... (laughs) She had three children, so, you know, uh, mother, that was motherhood... was really tough on her. Yeah, yeah, it really, looked very emotional for her to talk about. But remember, this was the 1980s. It was such a horrendously, you know, homophobic, gay-bashing time. So many lesbians who were mothers risked losing their children just for the fact... You know, with Clause 28, mm-hmm. Section 28... Guess who it was that actually abseiled into the House of Lords and chained themselves to Sue Lawley's desk when she was trying to read the... Was it, the, was it lesbians? It was Greenham lesbians. Was it Greenham lesbians? Yes, of course it was Greenham lesbians. Who knew was I remember it was, it was lesb- Annie and Boo and <laughs> Sally and... I knew it was lesbians. I didn't know it was Greenham lesbians who'd, who'd uh, crashed who the Who else news. would it be? Greenham women are everywhere. And you know, <laughs> we were going into the pawn shops too at the same time. I mean, that's the point that we were making connections. And you saw, and I was so glad in the film that they picked up on on the things that I and others said, and went, you know, and interviewed Zoll, and then Titify, who I mean, I hadn't seen since that period when Zoll brought her over to Greenham to tell us how it was. <laughs> and uh, she's she's a Maori woman from. Uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and um, had worked very much with Pacific women. 
So really, we were very much about, yes, nuclear weapons, but we were also about the environmental and the humanitarian harm that had been done right through the whole kind of nuclear nuclear system from the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And you see Setsuko, Setsuko, who I worked with in this last decade with the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. I can, go figure. Setsuko, who was 13 years old in Hiroshima at school when the bomb hit very close by, one of only two, possibly three girls that managed somehow to crawl free and survived. And I didn't even know she'd come to Greenham until Briar, the director, sent me a photo and said, is this, is this Setsuko? And I looked at it, I said, it certainly looks like her. And then I, I emailed it to her and said, Setsuko, is this you? <laughs> we had a conversation. And yeah, that, you know, so all these things weaving in and out. And, you know, and it was, was that that led me on, on leaving Greenham to decide that the next step I had to take, because I kind of realised that if you do activism and you do it right, we can get a treaty mm. and we can actually ban. Now, INF treaty only banned one class of weapons. I mean, it was kind of important because it was a very destabilising, you know, the crews, the Pershing, the SS-20s, the war fighting, you know, the first use, the ones that would actually start the war in the European theatre, which is, of course, where we live. So, but, so I realised this, you could get, you know, if you're really active. And Greenpeace, bless them, gave me a job when I left, because I left after we got the treaty, because five years is actually a long time, and I was exhausted, I'd been beaten up just a few times too many, and I, I just needed to, who, to move who on. Who had beaten you up? Was it the, because we saw in the film both police brutality, but also just random men who turned up in Mm. person and threw things and hurt people. The vigilantes did destroy my my first ever bender that I actually made, that the traveller women had taught us how to make. My first ever bender did get destroyed because it was... was What's a bender? The bender is those igloo-looking things where you... You ask permission of the trees to bring them into Greenham, to take them from where they're growing, and then you bend them over and you make a kind of igloo and you cover that with plastic and and tarpaulin and and some nice colourful blankets so, you know, you're cosy. And then the bailiffs come along a few months or weeks later and they tear it all down. And you see me in the middle of my bender being kind of it torn down. I thought it was a good idea just to stay in the bender and, and, and try to talk to them about it and... But, but there we go. But the thing is that, yes, so my first bender was burnt. And by whom? Though? By, 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 by the vigilantes, vigilantes yeah, because so it was these quite were close to the road. just angry men who were yeah. misogynists? What, what, oh, was oh, their, <laughs> what was their beef? Like, what were they, why were they so angry? Because you weren't doing anything to them, even if they disagreed with what you were doing. Yeah. You were peacefully protesting. Well, a couple of them, they were called rage. Rape payers against Greenham encampments. And they used to oh. have these horrible misogynist... Um, cartoons adverts in the Newbury Weekly News and uh, it turned out that the reason why they had all this blood and offal and garbage and maggot with maggots in it was because one of them at least worked in an abattoir and uh, they probably objected to the fact that a lot of greener women were were vegans I mean you know hey this was before veganism was really cool like it is now (laughs) 
Wow, that's an extraordinary thing. So someone who worked yeah. in an abattoir no, so came and got offal and threw it at vegan women who oh, were trying it was a car, to stop. It was carloads. <gasps> they, 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 they'd come in carloads. Oh, no, 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 they never did those. But, oh, but it was, yeah. when, when I mention about the attack in the middle of the night on a, a tent that had two women, it was right up by the silos, so it was in the sort of woodland area close to the silos, and it was two women that wanted to be able to kind of watch the silos and let us know what changes and that sort of thing. Hazel and Jane... And it was just an ordinary tent, because by that time we were being evicted so often, like pretty well every day. But tucked in the woods, they weren't being evicted quite as often, but they couldn't stay there long enough to have a bender. But it was was just an ordinary little tent, and two men in the middle of the night, and the women were inside, so they didn't see them. But it sounded like... I I can't remember exactly the... But they they thought it was American soldiers, and it was... You know, the vigilantes really tended to chuck things from the road, but they did do, They did chuck um, one summer, um, July, they, they threw um, a firebomb oh uh, right next to a, a, an area that we called the clearing, which was actually considered a safe place that women who had kids could put up their tents and camp because there was no access directly onto the big, you know, onto the main right. road. The so if you thing. wanted to say, I am not frontline in this action because I have children, yeah. there was a safe That's place where you, you went. could... And someone threw a firebomb there. Yes, oh, in July, God. and the gorse and the everything went up like tinder. And so two weeks later was Hiroshima Day and then Nagasaki Day. So, And we, we went to the clearing and then we just kind of picked up all this ash and we just rubbed it into our arms and, and legs and, and face, and then went up to the main gate of the base and started sort of singing. You know, I sang of my nightmare and we sang various different songs. And, you know, that was kind of our way to respond after being attacked was to use what they were trying, the violence that they tried to use against us, to use it in ways that would channel people into thinking about the immense apocalyptic extinction violence of nuclear weapons, whether they were inside the base or they were outside the base. That was always what we were trying to do. That's why we stopped the the convoy, because we were basically stopping it and trying to look straight in the eyes of the the drivers and saying, you know, what you're driving is mega death. Mm. Are you going to drive over me? in order to carry on that, because if you can't, then you probably should not be driving nuclear weapons around. At all. Mm. Trying to connect them in with that which is human in them, inside them. Activate their humanity. And they usually stopped. Nearly always they did actually stop, which is why we were able then to paint them and show that we'd marked them. Mm. Sorry, were you frightened every day? Like I was just thinking living there for five years, like constantly putting your body into that sort of like fight or flight mode must have just been exhausting you, no you can't you can't do that that's mm. the thing i had nightmares before i went to greenham when i went to greenham and i started you know the sentry box was my first action and we took it exactly a year after the camp left cardiff and just right. for the listeners at home this was um, an incident depicted in the documentary where you broke into the sentry box and then the police were all around trying to get in and they couldn't. Yeah, and it, and it was it was quite hilarious. Yeah, it really was. And, yes. and that was actually one of the first ever actions and certainly the first action that led to 
uh, women going to prison. And then that was the group of women that formed the basis of the group that went to the US mm-hmm. and did the court case. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you walked into this building today, now this is a hotel. We just needed a screening room that was sizable so we could fit a guilty feminist audience in here. But it's actually called the Shoreditch Courthouse Hotel, which I hadn't thought anything of. I just thought, well, that's where the people who've made the documentary have booked it. We'll come along and do it. But you came in like with a look on your face and going, I can't believe this event is here. This has brought back a memory. Tell the audience, what memory this brought back for you? I was sent to Holloway from this magistrate's court. Normally it was from Newbury, but sometimes when we would say that we were not going to, that, that when they gave us a fine for occupation or, a, a, you know, whatever it, it was, um, they started off doing us under a 600-year-old law called Breach of the Peace, and that's for, like dancing on the silos and the sentry box with that. But then when we were blocking the roads and then painting convoys and things like that. It turned into something that they called criminal damage. And they they then fine us. And I, you know, we refused, or a lot of us refused to pay the fines. Some women needed to pay the fines and we'd raise the money because they had kids or they had jobs and, you know, and so on. But I refused to pay the fine and then 28 days would pass. And then usually they'd come to Greenham to pick me up. But on this particular occasion... I was speaking, I think Hackney Greenham Group had invited me to speak at some meeting in Hackney and had publicised it. And so when I turned up to do this meeting, the police turned up to arrest me because the warrant was out. And this was where I was brought. And unfortunately, it was just before Christmas. So they, he sent me down, I think, for 21 days. But, you know, and I said, can, can you please just send me down 14 days and then I'm out before Christmas? But no, it was 21 days. So even with remission... So you had Christmas, Christmas in inside, yeah. But but the wonderful thing was that I could actually connect with some of the other green and women who were also spending Christmas inside, and oh, that was what actually, a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. it was. That's a, that's a, <laughs> really, that's, is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? No matter where you are, most, 
Wonderful time. Oh, you're here. Oh, great. Well, this will be more cheerful. Um, what was it like when you went to Holloway? Were prisoners who were not in for criminal damage against a nuclear base, were they sympathetic to the cause? Were you seen as quite heroic there? Did they know about it? Was that a place where you were able to spread the word? My first prison sentence actually was the one that I was most scared of because the Welsh women that I'd been arrested with, they got all sent to an open prison and I didn't. And then I was put in a cell and then I heard the door open and then, you know, the keys all jangle and then the door opens and I could hear that somebody was brought in and I sort of turned and when she saw my face, she said, oh, you poor love, it's your first time, isn't it? And that was when I realised just how amazing some of the women in prison are and also how political are the reasons that they were in, whether it's that they had been prostituted, that they had been, um, uh, you know, that they they were finally taken to court because they had said no to police who wanted freebies uh, out on the Streatham High Road or wherever, Kingsland High Road. So there was sex workers... And the police had said, basically, I'm not going to pay, yeah, otherwise I'm going to arrest exactly. you. Obviously, poverty played a massive mm. role. And so, you know, some women were, were then ended up doing drugs, you know, drug mules. There were addiction things. But, you know, with very, very few exceptions, you know, women looked after each other in the prisons. And I think that's really important to say. So, so I came out of that first sentence saying, I'm not actually going to declare myself a political prisoner in the way the suffragettes did. See, the suffragettes were the mother of my revolution, and you know, and, and, and as you can see, oh, I love the ending of that film, didn't you? Mm. All those amazing women, you know, because they are the daughters of Greenham, whether they know it or not. You know, if we did something, it was to give courage, and courage calls to courage. So this, this was the right way to end the film, is actually showing the next generation of women that are still going to have to carry on the struggle and linking the environmental struggle, the struggle against nuclear war, because we still have far too many nuclear weapons. I mean, there were 50,000 back in the 80s, and there's 13,000. So Greenham was the beginning of the end of the arms race, the nuclear arms race between the US and the Soviet Union. But we've had to be working ever since then. We've banned nuclear testing. And finally, in 2017, we got what I'm most proud of in my life, which is the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And it was negotiated. And the chair of the negotiations was a woman, a Costa Rican ambassador, Elaine White Gomez, who was just awesome. She brought the treaty home. And I probably don't have time to read a couple of bits of the treaty, but this is such a feminist as well as humanitarian treaty. Its preamble frames it in terms both of, you know, all the impacts, you know, not just nuclear war, but all the kind of environmental, developmental, economic impacts, which disproportionately affect women and girls, including, of course, through radiation And then elsewhere talks about the agency of women, the necessity to have equal numbers of women around the table negotiating everything to do with peace and environment and and disarmament and so on. And then it has two obligations in it that require that the nations that sign up to this, which are called states parties, have to follow through on persuading others, like the ones like Britain that have the nuclear weapons, and to assist 
the survivors, you know, the hibakusha from both Japan and from nuclear testing, those affected and remediate the environments that have been destroyed by nuclear activities. That's part of a UN treaty and it entered into international legal force at the beginning of this year, 22nd of January, 2021. Wow. It's law. But we have to sign this country up to it because it's only law on this country if we get them to sign. Oh, well, I'm sure with this government. Well, <laughs> they may not get a choice on this one because loads and loads of cities, you know, Manchester, Leeds, mm. Glasgow, Edinburgh, even my city that I live in, Brighton and Hove, you know, <laughs> they're signed up promising that they will do everything they possibly, that they align themselves with the treaty, they support the treaty and they will try to implement it. So all of these pressures are coming up and also more and more banks are coming up, you know, and investment. They're all coming up from enormous pressures mm -hmm. that they cannot make profits out of nuclear weapons. They have to disinvest. And the same thing's being done, of course, on climate, you know, fossil fuels and stuff. These are totally you know, interconnected. Connected and actions. obviously, as you saw, people like Rose McGowan at the end of the film, mm. the violence against women, that still continues. We've still got a job to do, and I want all of you not just to carry Greenham home, but to carry that courage to act now to stop nuclear war, because it is still, you know, by, you know, human or computer error now, of course, really is a, a very big danger, miscalculation, all that kind of thing, to really stop all this climate destruction, but also to make sure that we do support all the women who have been affected by violence against women and girls, and that we stop them. And you guys in the audience here, you've got to stop, talk to the other guys. You've got to change it with them because we can't change it all by ourselves. And it is no good the police saying that we have to somehow be careful how we walk home. We've got all to recognise these interconnect and we've got to stop them all. Rebecca, I want to ask you, you know, there are lots of young activists and uh, socially activated people in the audience. What advice do you have for us? Because right now, with, there's so many dangerous bills coming through. Priti Patel is just having an absolute field day. You know, the, the borders bill, the policing bill, which is really terrifying. Um, but also we're doing an emergency episode of The Guilty Feminist on Monday night because there's a new bill about the NHS, which is just basically selling it off. There's so many terrifying bills coming through and they've got such a huge majority. They can just sort of, seems like they can do what they like. And we've got a campaign um, that we've been making videos for and, and getting people to write blogs about. And we're now teaming up with some other people to get a protest in the street going against to tr we, we're not going to kill the bill, the policing bill, because there's such a big majority, but we want them to change at least the clause that says protesters can be arrested for being noisy and annoying, because that is totally subjective. And also the point of a protest is you're noisy and annoying. That's what a protest is. So like, how, can you give us some advice on how we can team together to reach our goals? What advice would you give to activists now? You know, I wouldn't dare to give advice now because you've got so many different kind of tools i you know all this social media but we also know it's there's there's backlashes inside that but just to say, just remind you of the image of the web why did we choose that 
Well, spiders are really indomitable. You, you, you think you've got rid of spiders and the webs come back. That's us. That's women. But also, every single strand of that is really fragile. That's actually how we felt going down to Greenham. I mean, you know, I didn't know anything. You know, I, I, I just felt I had to do something. But in our fragility, we connect with each other. And in connecting with each other, we become stronger and stronger and stronger. And look how the web kept growing. And so really all I can say is do something. Believe in yourself. Tell the truth. Not just in your own voice, but amplify the voice of all the other women and all the nonviolent activists that are trying to resist. And remember what we did at Greenham was we changed the nature of nonviolence as well. We talked about feminist nonviolence because a lot of women went to Greenham, not only because they wanted to find lots of other women because they kind of, you know, wanted to find themselves sexually and and it was a lot lot of fun there for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I I should at this point mention that... Should we set up an anti-policing bill camp that's also a bit of a sex fest? Is that what you're recommending, Rebecca? Fine, I'll take the wine. Not exactly, although it doesn't... It doesn't have... I mean, I met Hina, a Blue Gate woman, but we met outside Aldermaston. Actually, I think it was Burfield. The, the nuclear bomb factory, because Britain carries on making nuclear bombs. I mean, that's amazing. And, cute, and we are still protesting because... Now, if I'm the mother of anything, I'm the mother of the Aldermaston Women's Peace Camp because three of us needed a bit of a break from Greenham. So off we went to Aldermaston, which is only six miles away, and we camped over a weekend because you don't want to camp long-term at Aldermaston because they do all the plutonium stuff for Britain's warheads. And so they're actually pretty contaminated. But, you know, weekend. <laughs> and that weekend, that weekend that became a weekend every... Perspective. Uh, that weekend on. became a weekend every month and carried on right up until lockdown and it's been restarted again. So when I was up at Faz Lane doing... You, you, did you watch Vigil and, you know, yeah. those things? Yeah. OK, well, I was up at Faz Lane and I, I rented a little place because I thought I'm not doing the peace camp again. So, you know, and I... You know, I'm a bit older and, you know, I had enough money to rent up there. So I rented, but we did at Faz Lane 365 where we got people from lots and lots of communities to just to come for one or two days. You see, that's the point. You don't need to, to again have, you know, loads of women coming and committing to loads of time. You need to think, be creative Tag about the, the kind of actions. Well, while I was being very active up, up at Faz Lane, remember this was after the Iraq war and I had just given up hope in, I was doing a lot of work with the UN and stuff like that. And I had just given up hope of that kind of a system. So I went back into activism and I got this lovely invitation from the women of the Aldermaston Women's Peace Camp saying, you know, dear Rebecca, as one of our mothers, will you come down because we're about to be evicted because they've changed the law around protest at Aldermaston. And we're going to have a cocktail party. Bring your best frock. So I thought, well, I've, I, I, you know, I, I got to do that. Yeah. So I did, and uh, I, uh, you know, had to borrow a car from from a neighbour in Hackney, and and all of this. And then I met I met Hina, who was wearing a very nice tux, and you know that was nearly fifteen years ago. So you know, that's that's you can also find lots of love in protest. You know, what, what whatever's you, the direction that you want to be looking for. Uh, you know, there's nothing like being kind of chained next to somebody or 
or being represented in court by sure. somebody. You know, this sort of thing. Oh, it's, so what, it's what people did before commit Hinge, clearly. to do something. Well, we didn't, yeah. you know, Greenham, we didn't have TV and radio. We didn't have social media. We actually had to do it in life. And do you know, out of that... Aldermaston actually took the case to the High Court on the protest, just like we kept doing yeah. again and again with Greenham. I think there's probably still an injunction out on me that I'm not supposed to go back to Greenham, and I think that was taken out in 1983, and I've still been going back to Greenham whenever I want. So, you know, Are we safe to put don't on the podcast? be afraid, because the more of you that do it, and then if they do arrest and try and make a, an example of a few of the the people that you protested against this protest bill. Don't let them treat us as terrorists. Don't let them turn our non-violent, active, disruptive, yes, but non-violent, never harming people, only going after trying to stop the harm that military, industrial, high investment, you know, the the worst kind of pharmaceutical gaslighting, you know, we have to disrupt those. Mm. And that is not terrorism. No. Well, you got that the, you is got staying the, alive. You got the Nobel Peace Prize, not Michael Haseltine. Well, that's I true noticed. too. And it was a collective one. And do you know who we chose to be the two that we went, that went up? Setsuko. Oh. Setsuko was our choice to accept the Nobel Peace Prize on our behalf. And then we chose one of our young women, young staff members, because we wanted to actually show that, you know, stopping nuclear weapons can be really cool. Saving the world is really fun, isn't it? (laughs) And so those were the two. But we insisted that the Oslo, the Nobel Peace Committee, had to make us 13 of the medals. Not all of them are solid gold, I have to say, because that that one... so, so got, you've got one. Yeah, I've got one. But but it's collective. <laughs> so casual. I'm un, under the, you know, it's in my living room, but it's, I take it all around, you know, all kinds of protests. And there's what, you know, there, there's a medal in Africa. There's a couple of medals in the Pacific and, and Japan. There's medals in, you know, Latin America, North America. There's medals, I think, that go around all of the nuclear armed Countries, there's enough in Europe to go around, or you know, I mean, you have to travel around, but you know, there's there's enough that go around the NATO countries, and and also, you know, Russia. We've still got to actually deal with this kind of thing. Mm. So we're not heroines. We n- neither, you know, have we sacrificed. We tried to stay alive, and many women did also try to stay alive for their children or so that they'd be able to have children. Mm. That wasn't my narrative, but it was an important narrative. Mm. And, and yeah, yeah. Well, the, also the mothers of the revolution to me implied you gave birth to this revolution. Yeah. We need to take some questions from the audience. Yes, we please. don't have long left. So I, does anyone in the audience have a question for Rebecca? Um, hi, my name's Kat. Um, I'm a secondary school teacher. So I just wondered if you had... Any advice for those of us who work in education about how we can encourage our young people to kind of go on the path, the journey that you did? Well, I don't think you're wanting all your young people to go on quite the same journey as I did, because if it 
hadn't been for Greenpeace kind of offering me a job and then my turning that job into working with the UN and stuff like that. And, but, but never employed by the UN. They kept trying to offer me jobs and, and I couldn't actually explain that I had a long criminal record. So don't, don't suggest that they do that. But let me tell you something. The UN actually has policy that passed through the UN Security Council and is attached to various treaties, and you'll see it in this treaty too, about the importance of peace and disarmament education around the world. So this is a government obligation on this government, by the way. And there's some lovely people. I have a lovely friend um, in New York who has actually developed a number of, of kind of peace education modules that the UN is able to use. And so we could you know, develop some of that for up to date here. But let's face it, look at the climate activists. Look at the kids coming out of school for Fridays for Future. Mm. They actually get it. They know it. It's not a competition between whether you're a climate activist or you're an anti-nuclear activist or you're an activist against violence against women, because actually you need to be all of those things. Mm -hmm. We need to inform each other so that we are doing all of those things together. But that's really what needs to happen. And uh, I mean, I would happily come to schools and actually my neighbour in the flat that I'm living in, you know, she's on the third floor, I'm on the sixth floor. She, uh, a year ago, so she would have been 12 then, 11 or 12. Anyway, she, because she'd known about me and I talked to her about the suffragettes and I'd given her a bunch of suffragette ribbons and things like that for a different project she did when she was about 10. And she came back to me and interviewed me. She is the greatest interviewer. <laughs> she was so good. She interviewed me about Greenham for a project. So, you know, something like that can happen. And if you want to do anything like that, you know, I'm only down in Brighton. I'll, I'll come on a train and, and I'll, I'll talk. Where, where's, oh. your, where's your school? It's in Camberwell. It's in Camberwell. Camberwell. Well, there you go. That's not hard to get to. Um, you know, but, but, but I do You've think... done well, Cat. there, haven't you? <laughs> get, her, get her email. Seriously. She's that, you'll be a hero. And, and there's quite a lot of us. Because, you know, green and women really are everywhere. My mother-in-law is actually a Greenham Common woman. Um, so Tom, who's running mics now, um, he is the, the name. Um, he's a, a Mary Zielinski. So she had kids at home. She had day player. But Tom said, "Oh no, she used to camp overnight. Come home and where, where's Mum? She's at Greenham Common." And uh, but you wouldn't. I wouldn't say that was her. You know, she did work for Amnesty and mm. and the Medical Foundation. And um, but no, I, she's never told me she was at Greenham Common. Tom was like, "No, my mum was at Greenham Common a lot." So I think so many women did it. Like you saw that when you know you had that. Um, what was it called? What was the the brilliant slogan that you had? Um, embrace the base where you are and you didn't have social media so you had no idea how many people were coming it was just six women phone six women phone, can you phone another six women you had no idea and you seeing was it Chris in tears remembering that she came down on that day yeah. yes and people and sort of crying about that you woke up and they you the, suddenly the base was surrounded by all of these women with candles and they were perfectly silent because they didn't want to wake up the people that were sleep, the women that were sleeping there. And you said, that's women for you. They were so considerate. But that was when you knew you would get your 16,000. But in fact, you got more like 30,000. 30, more than double, 35,000. 35,000. ITN News, which they didn't use on this, but, but ITN News had me actually saying 35,000. I don't know where the 30,000 came from. Probably the police. 
But, you know, they would, they were low-balling it. The yeah. police were low-balling it. But also, can, can I say, and any other teachers that are listening to this, this documentary, show your kids this documentary. Yeah. Actually, Nina Nana, if any of you saw at the launch, when it was being launched at the London Film Festival, Nina Nana did a brilliant piece on ITN News. And afterwards, she turned to me and she said, this should be in every school. Mm. Oh, that's what you were saying, Susie, weren't you? I was saying how embarrassed I was that I didn't know, that I knew about it in passing, that it was a peace camp, but not much else. Yeah. And that I feel like I should have learned about this at school. We it should pra- be a- Everyone should learn about this at school because I, I see why... Yeah, I see why governments don't want people knowing about this, though. Because you changed the course of history. You stood up to the government. They were brutal. I mean, Chris was talking about having hot coffee poured on it by cops who then... Uh, actually went down for that because you know they humiliated they her they just got reprimanded oh really she was one of the few women that actually she was so tenacious you could see that from, from oh yeah I mean, she, she's still ch- t- utterly tenacious but um what she, bastards they were but yes absolutely but that kind of thing happened actually far more often than was realized And it happened to quite a lot of us in different kinds of ways. But what Chris did was she actually took them to court. Mm. And that... But they didn't lose their jobs. They didn't lose their jobs You wonder why you have this culture in the police. You know, if Chris Adjic doesn't fucking go seriously with this, you know, I was looking at the stats on how many police officers have been criminal and how many have been, you know, up on charges of rape. And it's just... It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And you see that tolerated there where they had a woman on the floor humiliating her and pouring hot coffee on her and using um, homophobic slurs. And it's just so disgusting. And this is something we really, we really, really do have to fight because that made me feel very, very angry um, seeing that against peaceful women who were fighting for, as it turns out, in retrospect, the very right thing. And as I said, there's no peace prize for Thatcher and Heseltine who were standing against you. And that's why the government doesn't want this in schools because it shows that you were on the right side of history. And that has been explicitly stated by Gorbachev and by the fact that you've won a peace prize. Of course, they don't want you knowing this, but it demonstrates in the future, that's how the school climate strikers will be seen. Women together, we are incredibly powerful when we know what we want and make it clear that we are not going to stop until the world around us pays attention and changes. Mm. I could talk to you for like another five hours. Um, Susie, before we bring this show to a close, is there anything you wanted to ask or say? I mean, yeah, there was one question that I did want to ask. I know there were running over a tiny bit, that was, was there like a moment when you first realised you were an activist? Was there something in like a childhood or teenage years before you got to Greenham? Yeah, um, it was 1973 and I was an exchange student and they sent me to Alaska. And, uh, what a life! I mean, and I found uh, feminism because I was sent to a high school and we were reading Sylvia Plath and at the same time we were trying to stop the oil pipeline and I started writing more and more songs because I also had to, you know, you're not supposed to, to, to you know, as an exchange student. Anyway, I had to get some money um, and I started singing my stuff in, in cafes 
all my feminist, my new feminist songs. And, and to get money, you were singing, fe- yeah, you were basically like cafes. Phoebe from Friends. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, actually probably about as bad as that. <laughs> <laughs> but your songs had more points and heft. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I came back to, to, to do my university thing. And um, I was meant to be studying physics and... Um, and but I was going out on street theatre about homelessness and um, you know and, and feminism and I became the second ever um, sort of whatever we called them um, so person who was convening the women's liberation group at Bristol University at that time and I suddenly realised wow this is so much more fun than physics <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, I, you, I didn't. I didn't expect it to take a turn to uh, being a folk singer in Alaska either. But there you are. Oh, Why? I'm not surprised. Place Rebecca's going. I'm not surprised. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not surprised. Is there anyone with a burning question that we can answer very quickly? But if no one's got anything, the cinema will be delighted. Oh, of course, two people do have something, but I'm also delighted by that. So let's try and answer this quick. This one quickly. I'd really like to know what you wore to the cocktail party. <laughs> What did you wear to the cocktail party? It was rather fabulous. Off the <laughs> oh my god! But I got for some kind of reception at the UN a couple of years before. But it was much better being worn in the rain outside Burfield with my boots, you know, and meeting with Nina. you with your girls. Uh, and and what was your question? Hi, I'm Gio. I'm not sure this can be answered quickly. <laughs> Give it a go. Um, but yeah, I'll just try. Um, I guess it's not the, the documentary depicted it, the, the movement as kind of too solid or kind of homogeneous in a way, but there is, the, we talked earlier about being on the, in retrospect on the right side of history. I guess as you're doing it, you don't really know. So I guess my question is about kind of the difference of ideas and that, that was managed in the movement and it, I imagine over 20 years there must have been a big debate over everything. <laughs> we were a bunch of strong women and we were a bunch of women asking questions and it used to annoy me when people would say oh it must be nice to be at a women's peace camp because you know women are so much nicer uh, uh, it wasn't all sweetness and light yeah. Yeah. but it was real I, as I said you know we were alive and we were arguing everything through which is why we we developed that very much more active disruptive form of feminist nonviolence. because women came into greenham and said no way am i gonna lie down passively in front of some men soldiers some guys in uniform who are coming at me because i've had enough violence in my own life thank you very much you know from fathers or uncles or husbands or somewhere in their in their background and to be passive would just completely disempower me. So we talked about it and we said, okay, what is going to work? And women would say, well, getting up and dancing and and we'll occupy the fence sometimes, you know, the gates sometimes by dancing and and, and the police would come. You know those teddy bears? Second time women went in, they covered themselves with honey. The soldiers moved in like this and then it was like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we were constantly being creative. We and funny. Yeah, and funny. funny. There were amazing women at Greenham. There were amazing women who were part of the whole Greenham women's movement. 
the Greener women everywhere who are still around. They're, they're your neighbours, some of them. You know, they... No, it's not sweetness and light. We have to argue it all through. But again, we try to do it in ways that are non-violence and how we do it. But that does not mean, and here again, we really rejected that notion that as protesters, we should suppress our anger and our fear and, you know, lie down passively and that sort of thing. Because if you're not both angry, furious and very afraid at what you see them doing to our world with nuclear war back in the 80s, but remember, actually, we should still be furious and afraid, but climate now on everybody's lips and violence against women, which is really not being dealt with properly. If you're not furious and angry, if you're not afraid, you're not in touch with the emotions that you need to be in touch with, but use them, acknowledge them, recognise them, talk about those feelings of anger and fear, and then channel them into amazing actions to make the change. And don't be afraid to be disruptive. Confronting the violence is different from using violence to confront the people doing it. We do have to confront the people, and we did, and we confronted them with our bodies and our voices. I used to use my Benny Gesserit voice when you'd see the police kind of dragging somebody away really badly you'd go stop that immediately it's it's the teacher's voice actually you know it's the teacher's voice you know stop that that's a woman you need to stop that immediately do not harm her and they would often do that if you use that kind of a voice because you know they're all little boys at heart that remember their teachers or their mothers using that voice and they know they're doing something wrong So that's what we've got to do if we're doing protests from now on, is any time the police come up, find that teacher's voice in you, mm. that mother's voice, or the Benny Gesserit voice, because Dune is now being... I, I'm science I don't know what Benny, the Benny Gesserit voice is, okay. but I can guess. It has to do with science fiction. It's, it's, oh, okay. it's a woman's voice that has an impact that makes people do what they ought to be doing and not do what they shouldn't be doing. Well, I need to Google that. Yeah. Um, well, Rebecca, I hope that we can convince you to join our noisy and annoying campaign because I think you are so, to me, extremely gripping and fascinating, but to Pretty Patel, I imagine you are pretty noisy and annoying, <laughs> as you were to Margaret Thatcher. And I, as I was to Heseltine. As, as you were to Heseltine and Thatcher. I can't thank you enough for coming today and sharing with us in person uh, if you are listening to this, wherever you are in the world, please seek out Mothers of the Revolution. Get it off iTunes, but start spreading it. Start if you. Okay, we need to hashtag it. Um, so that's, I think, what we should be collectively trying Send to it do. To six people. Yes, do absolutely. What we in the film. Do you, Send so it to six everybody friends. here. Send six friends. Send it to ten. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Up the ante, Rebecca. So if everybody here, well, you didn't have social media then. You were pho- literally phoning people from payphones and I think typing I have things. The original version of the letter with that because oh. I, I typed it on my little yeah you know, oh you've got the original paper. one I think so somewhere because you said you didn't have photocopiers so you were doing yeah. it on like stencils but, but and things actually we did have photocopy shops so you know we did but oh, luxury and I, think, and I think we said 10 I okay alright well okay ten, in the document according to the documentary it was 6 but yeah. Rebecca's now just going look into my eyes look into my eyes don't look around my eyes it was yeah. 10 so but the thing is with social media you all can contact more people than that 
and with a WhatsApp group. Oh, yes. So yeah, exactly. So don't slack off and do it the way that people did when they had to go to photocopy shops. Um, so if you could all go on your WhatsApp groups and go, I've just seen this amazing documentary. You've got to see it. And then follow up a couple of days. Have you seen it yet? Have you downloaded it yeah. yet? You need to tell everyone why they need to see it check in that they've seen it and get them to tell other people because that's how we get things going viral now. Now, in those days, they wanted 16,000 people to embrace a base, 60,000 women to embrace a base, and they ended up with 35,000. So we can do better than that. So get cracking on that immediately, whether you're in this room right now, whether you're listening at home, you can't miss this documentary. It is really, really gripping. It's fantastic. You see, you don't need any advice because you know all the tools. I'm hopeless on this social media business. You're brilliant. I mean, I'm, I'm not that good, but I, I, I know, I mean, I've got I've got I've got a phone. We can all work it out. It's all pretty intuitive. You've done your bit, Rebecca. I really yeah, don't think don't you need to be worried about don't WhatsApp worry about groups. Don't you've, worry about you've, you've, you can take a day off Instagram. Take a day off. Don't worry. Take a day off. Get get back into your, your fabulous off shoulder number and just do the schools. Um, uh, you have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me. I know Susie will have lots of questions as well. I think, are we sitting this far apart because of COVID? Is that the idea? I don't know. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, um, I don't think COVID would dare, uh, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it would dare. Uh Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.